I'm not a nerd, you're a nerd. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of 40-ish. Or as we call it, Myers Strikes Back, because Jason's favorite D&W grocery store is closing. Uh, so... Yes. That sounds like a Star Wars thing. Fire uh, strikes back. I had a pseudo positive experience at Myers, and I think it's because I've made myself such a cantankerous jackass over the last couple months. Um, Maybe your spirit's just broken, and you realize the people there have even less of a soul than the ones that actually shop. Well, I was standing in line with all of my stuff with kind of this face. Which Good everyone things. can see on the podcast. Right. Yeah. So everybody, uh, I'll, I'll let uh, someone else describe it later. But I kind of got one of the Myers employees, like one of the front end, whatever people kind of like look at me, tap me on the shoulder and kind of guided me into a brand new lane that still took 20 minutes to check out of because people are slow. But yeah. So to describe the face, if you look up curmudgeon. That I was, was going to say trying yeah. not to poop your pants. Ooh, that was. Mm, I'm that, not saying I did. I'm not saying I didn't. Yeah. Right. There could have been some anxiety in that one too. Right. Right. Or lack thereof. Anxiety pooping. That's a thing. <laughs> it is now. Trademark. <laughs> so, joining us on the episode tonight, as always, uh, Mr. John Moody. Hello. Uh, Mr. Lance Abair. What's up from the North State? Re- <sighs> God damn it! Back to that. <laughs> Returning from a sabbatical, Mr. Uh, Andrew Tucker. Good to be back. Ooh, I like the Brady Bunch uh, uh, the glance there. Oh, there you right go. In the corner, yeah. Depends on how it's laid out on your screen, though. Yeah, yeah I am upper left anyway in this one. And oh, mine, you're upper right. And mine, your lower bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we are pleased and privileged to welcome into this episode of 40 ish the, uh, let's see, the founder owner major domo chief bottle washer and head custodian is it john that of, sounds right of protone pedals dennis Mullen dennis welcome to 40ish thank you uh, i i don't know if it's going to be an honor but uh, it'll certainly be a time how about that right <laughs> most of the time we're just trying to kill it so I hear you we're all right we're all right that's yeah. good so I, I mean mid 40s honestly what else is there to do we're just right. waiting to die. way past my bedtime yeah. as it is. So, well, where where's everybody at? I'm I'm out here on the East Coast, and nine forty is solidly in my bedtime. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I no, had my jammies all, on for an hour. And a half. I was gonna say from neck down, I'm naked. Right, so nice. there. That's it. I'm ready for bed. So yeah, uh, John, myself, and Tucker are all in Michigan in different city. Well, John and I are a couple miles apart. Tucker's yeah, yeah. on the uh, east side of the state. Yep. Lance is in the north state of North Carolina. That's uh, okay. Unless you, it's Montana, it's not a north state. Here's how you make air quotes on Old podcasts. North, it's called the Asshole. Old North State. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, before we get into the litany of what we wanted to talk about on this episode, Dennis, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, who am I? I think that's the question we're all trying to answer. Especially, in are we getting episode. existential? I'm out of beverage. Is I'm, it, totally is, out. I'm sorry, is it not late enough for that yet? I'm gonna start we drinking this corn huskers lotion I've got here. Oh. You know what? I used to use that, 
when uh, I was a kid. Why do you have it that close to the office, Jay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I I'm got gonna, it at Battle school. Royal with the uh, O'Keefe's working hands. Okay. The, the corn huskers. The corn huskers is what we used to use. I used to set tile. Oh yeah. And uh, your hands are constantly in concrete water, you know, either the grout or the mud or literally concrete water. And that was the, I mean, we would literally just almost uh, engulf our hands in that on the drive home. And we'd have to figure out who's going to drive while the other guys is going to soak their hands all weird. Oh. And uh, it was, it was really rough for a musician. Um, but anyway, that was <laughs> 30 years ago. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you get dry cracks and oh my God, it's miserable. And the Cornhuskers lotion, really good stuff for it. But uh, who am I? Um, I'm still trying to figure that out, quite frankly. Uh, what, why I'm here, why I'm interesting. Uh, I, I built a business making guitar pedals and that's kind of cool to some people. Um, it's fun for me. You know, it used to be fun. Now it's a whole lot of fucking work. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I mean, that's, that's the downside of turning your pack. Oh, find what you love and you never have to work a day in your life. That's fucking bullshit. Cause I used, I, I'm, I have a prototype right here in my hands. I'm showing the camera, not that you can see on the podcast. It's a spring reverb prototype. It's really cool, John. Nice. Um, yeah, I've been working on it for years, and I'm, I'm a huge. So anyway, back to back to me, my favorite. Right. Topic. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I make uh, interesting, cool guitar effects pedals. I've I've had the pleasure of working with some pretty cool people along the way. Uh, a lot of folks in the metal world. I've worked with Megadeth and Ozzy. I've worked with The Cure. Um, you know, just a whole litany of folks in the weird and bizarre world that is the music industry. Um, other than that, uh, you know, I'm a dad, got three kids, got a wife who likes me some days, uh, <laughs> but what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> right now, and, and, and I'll be, here's, here's the big kicker. And I, I think John probably knows or knows a little bit about, um, I am 22 two months and like 15 days sober so nice. yeah. congratulations thank you thank you so all of this is still semi-new just i'll be brutally honest with you what the fuck am i gonna i'm not that entertaining sober so <laughs> i joined the club yeah. <laughs> let's see what happens <laughs> uh but yeah that's kind of me in a nutshell I, I make interesting uh guitar pedals before that i used to do some crazy jobs uh, i used to work for the department of defense mm. a bunch of stuff that i can't talk about but uh yeah you know lots of interesting things along the way but i think we all have those stories yeah yeah well my department yeah. of defense story is exactly that i went and worked at a facility a nuclear facility um, where basically there was four rings of security and I was mm -hmm. allowed in the outer ring. Mm -hmm. And when I was training people on the software that we make, I kind of asked them what they did. And they said, I can't tell you what I do. I said, you can't tell me at all. She goes, no, basically, let's just say I build things that leave the ground in one piece and come down in millions and millions of other pieces. I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no more. How long all right. Uh, two years ago, it was at the National Nuclear Security Campus in okay. the middle of the country, right when okay. the heart of barbecue land. It was wonderful. Now, was that person a uh, a post-it note designer? 
Yes. But, yes. Right. yes. <laughs> she definitely, it was her, a stack of post-it notes and a full um, punch and just going nuts. That would fit that description. I saw schematics of things that scared me. Let's just go with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, that was it involved a, a lot of this. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I did that for, for seven years and that was really rough. Um, I, I was technically, it was a data analyst. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And if you ever watched the show called future weapons, I think it was on history channel or something like that. History channel doing a show on future weapons. Um, but it, uh, that show sp- put a spotlight on the things that my organization, my group was working on called the future combat systems. Uh, that is Googleable. That's not secret, but some of the stuff that we were doing is pretty crazy. Um, you know, every, every meeting we'd have our uh, leader would tell us, remember uncle Sam is paying your salaries instead of buying jackets for our boys. Mm. Oh, fuck. Right. No, Best no, much. no drilling of the guilt there. Like exactly, spiked glove in the anus, kind of exactly. the, the agitator stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so that was weird. We're so we're I, way off the rails, all right. So that's uh, good. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, at so musicians. Yes. John uh, John's rank and file here by far and away the musician of uh, the musicians in the group. Yeah. Most of us. John's world class. I don't know if you guys oh. actually recognize that, but he's John's world—he's he's tolerable. He's, <laughs> you know, bow ties and put it. Yeah, over. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff I've and I've told you this before too, Dennis. Was a lot of um, the early endorsement stuff that I learned was from our dealings together. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with um, the one chorus pedal that still stays on every single board of mine, which I still find ironic. A guy that you know is known for like crushing distortion stuff makes one of the prettiest chorus pedals i've ever had and you know i'll tell you i'll tell you something so us being of a certain age we grew up listening to a certain style of music and everything was drenched in chorus coming from the 80s so chorus is something that's super near and dear to my heart we're gonna get super nerdy here for a minute so i do it really well but it makes me no money <laughs> right <laughs> nothing because kids today they they don't know they don't care right uh, but yeah that's my favorite effect to mess with you know i don't know if you've seen like you know we've got like six knob choruses and just bizarre mm-hmm. things uh, and I, and I love, I just love that lushness. Uh, Andy Summers was one of my favorite guys. Um, and the way that he used chorus and the role in jazz and, but, uh, yeah, I, I have a fondness for, for something that would make me go broke if that's all I did. <laughs> right. Well, so I've got to say, sorry to interrupt, Jason. I've, I've got to say, I, I was yeah. completely lost in what whatever you guys just talked about. So. Oh, they're <laughs> strapping, man. It's going to be a long night. I understand <laughs> the pedal part. Right. <laughs> like chorus. Uh, okay. I, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I'm going to ask a, uh, a fan, fan based question. Um, you, so you design these these effect pedals to mm-hmm. do. Uh, they all have a out of the box. They have a specific goal, whether it's uh, overdrive, whether it's just a preamp or distortion. Mm-hmm. And, and and watching John perform and 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 having him play and do demo videos, mm-hmm. I know what it's designed to do. And then there's a bazillion tweaks of every mm-hmm. little setting you can do. Mm-hmm. What uh, I'm gonna go right out here. 
has there been an opportunity that you've had with any of the artists you've worked with or even in your playing around and testing where you knew the pedal was designed to do A, mm -hmm. somebody did like Z with it and it's way better than you ever thought was possible? Um, every, the way I see it, a, a any anything musical, um, we we have a wheelhouse, and um, I know that once it leaves my bench, it's going to take on a whole new life. So, like when when um, I don't know who who makes hammers when they make a hammer and it cranks off the assembly line, it's going to go maybe make a house. Mm -hmm. It might be a beautiful house that ends up in Architectural Digest. It may become a murder weapon. You have no idea. Um, <laughs> I surprise me with Architectural what Digest. Yeah, or a murder, murder. weapon. Murder. I feel right. like both of those are. They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> they're not, and that's kind of you know like I put weird things on the outside of my pedal to market to a niche, but underneath it's the same stuff that that guys have been using for 50 60 years but back to your question has anybody actually surprised me um i had one guy uh the guitarist from fear factory about 10 years ago he used a boost pedal as a preamp just all its its whole job is to make your guitar louder but he used it in the inverse he used it as a cut and huh. Instead of like, you've probably seen people with like a kill switch on their guitar to make it, eh, 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 eh. Uh, I want to say Tom Morello from Rage Against it's the Machine. first person I thought of yeah. when you made that noise. That a lot. Um, but but um, Christian, Christian Old Wolvers, he was using his foot. So he'd turn the volume on the pedal all the way down and he would just kind of tap on it, ta 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 ta, instead of any switch on the guitar. Mm -hmm. So he was still free to play and he was just killing it. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody even do it that way. Dude, that's the exact opposite of what I've designed that for. Yeah, I know, but it works really well. Okay. Um, but all that to say, I think um, people do such weird things. And, and again, the, the genres that I work in, um, you know, Reeves Gabrels, who is currently in The Cure, used to be David Bowie's guitarist for years and years. Wow. Like, there mm -hmm. um page hamilton from helmet uh that guy's out there and how they use stuff is they're they're where they are for a reason because they're not afraid to experiment and they're not afraid to make shit weird and it's really cool so um yeah sometimes they shock the shit out of me but that was i think as simple as that was that one was the weirdest thing oh you're using it to turn it off okay right okay yeah, you're using it completely the opposite of what it was intended yeah exactly and on it literally i could have just thrown a three dollar switch in the box and just had it connected to nothing to turn it off right oh well <laughs> What's the markup on a $3 switch that, that turns off stuff? Uh, I would probably sell that for $69.99. There you go. I feel like that. There you go. Yeah. I'm not afraid. I price gouge. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's... it's Is it price gouging if someone will pay for it, though? Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's not. It's what the It's free enterprise. It's, right. Exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's what makes America go around. But right now, it's 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 a different world that we're in now so i probably couldn't do that anymore i could have 15 years ago but today my biggest competition is a phone 
iPad apps. (laughs) I can't, I can't get away with this kind of shenanigans. Except people seem to, and this is coming from an outsider's perspective, uh, take a lot of pride in the layouts of their boards. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. And, and the biggest thing that I've noticed with your pedals in particular, because I don't have a lot of experience with pedals, but yours, the artwork alone is going to mm-hmm. make somebody go, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. What the hell does that do? And mm-hmm. that, that sparks some sort of conversation. So I kind of like to talk about branding. Is it mm-hmm. totally based in your metal experience or is it, are you the artist for these? I mean, do you contract? I mean, I'm kind of curious of where, these kinds of thought processes come into play to design your artwork on your pedals? Some of them are my ideas and I just throw them over the fence to uh, whichever artist I think will do it most justice. Um, So that that was kind of a three or four part question there. So let me unpack. Uh, Yeah. Originally it was, I had an artist do a logo for me. Uh-huh. And then uh, at the time we were just, you know, I think we had just racing stripes, you know, because I was really kind of marketing to the every man. I, I hadn't niched yet, hadn't found that. And the market wasn't flooded, so I didn't need to. Um, so I had, a, I had a guy and uh, he did a cool design for me. And then he just out of the blue sends me this email with this crazy monster face. I don't, I don't have one in here. I don't think, no. Um, just a crazy monster face turned out to be the monster fuzz. And the reaction was through the roof because nobody at that time, this was 12, 13 years ago. At that time, nobody was doing that in the pedal industry. They were doing like flowers and stupid stuff and like one of a kind things and stuff that looked like a seven-year-old with Tourette's had done things like, and I say Tourette's lovingly because we have an employee with Tourette's and I've got a daughter with autism. And so I, I, I have a card. I can make fun. No, I tease. Um, (laughs) So, so it just, nobody was doing a cohesive look on a, a cohesive piece of art repeated every time on a pedal so we did that we kind of got known for it and then it just kind of expanded from there and then we got into this weird dark biomech dead thing excuse me for the noise but like this guy it's a it's a mouse base overdrive and it's just a dead mouse with a bunch of gears and stuff so basically what i do is uh our our artist uh sam shearer and he does a bunch of work for other guys in the metal world like he's done tons of stuff with rob zombie he's done stuff with anybody that has a heavy electric guitar of the last 30 years so he does some really cool stuff but it's it's all out there he does a lot of comic books too Mm. so he's done some kiss comics some of the more recent kiss comics he's done a bunch of the hellraiser comics so he's out there so i'll just tell him i've got this idea give me something back and that's that. And I think only once have I had to turn him down. And because it, I turned it down, because it was it was too commercial. I said, Sam, this isn't us. That's too commercial. <laughs> you know, nice. He got it. Okay. Okay. So, because we don't, our whole market has changed in the last 10, 12 years. We don't, we don't even <clears throat> getting on shelves in music stores. We just sell direct to consumer. So, right. um, I can put ugly dead things and not have to, you know, play it up 
not have to pretty it up, not have to pander to the lowest common denominator. So, so yeah, it's marketing really, uh, because like I said, under the hood, you could, if you just put this in a, in a plain metal box, anybody could use it. So marketing 101, but there's a downside. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're stuck with a market that you may not want. In terms of like a uh, a genre of music or just uh, a, yeah. no yeah. kidding. Yeah, we uh, a couple of years ago we got really way too big, way too fast when a young band kind of discovered us and put us over the top, and we did a signature model with them, and we went from selling a thousand a year to selling upwards of five thousand pedals a year mm. at you know two to three hundred dollars a piece, and it just got way out of hand and the target market was 15 to 20 and uh, I don't know if you know a lot of 15 to 20 year olds they're not super cool people <laughs> no I mean you know I love them to death for what they've done to my family and my company but that was was not a pleasurable experience in terms of them being vocal about they're, they're, they have unrealistic expectations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, think about a 15 year old, think about your kids. Uh, most 15 year olds have a never lived a day without Amazon next day delivery. They've never lived a day with having to wait for an album to be released. They've never had to wait a day for anything. Everything is overnight. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've never learned that um, things are, are handcrafted not everything comes in a white box from Asia. So it was a completely different, prior to that, my, my core audience was just, you know, dudes 30 up. Mm-hmm. And they understood, you know, um, everything's gonna be a little bit different. They understood this is handcrafted. They understood that it takes a little bit of time, things like this. But um, the, younger, the younger crowd, didn't get that and it was it was it was a culture shock on both sides shocked me into holy cow kids got a lot of disposable money with zero patience but (laughs) but on the other side i think it kind of uh, a lot of them oh okay so this is what something made in america by you know hands not computers and not machines right are you are you building out of your house uh we've got a workshop okay with a few offices and I have, my main office is in my house, but then we've out bag, we've got a, we've got a workshop and a converted garage and all sorts of space. Okay. But when it comes certified handcrafted, it is a handcrafted oh, item. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's oh, impressive. Yeah. It starts a, just a, just a metal box and we drill out the holes and all of the components are all, um, components are not made here in america because there are no component manufacturers in america okay right so you can't buy i don't care that it says texas instruments you can't buy a transistor made in america anymore so uh, it's all assembled but it's assembled enough that we can still legally put the made in america stamp on it okay because you got to have x percentage of things actually produced in america and then you, if it's, if your raw components aren't produced here, you have to, you literally have to get the documentation that shows you've done your due diligence to try to find an American source. Yeah. And if that's not happening, it's pain. Got it. I but, understand where you're coming from. Yep. 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 
Well, it's funny, John, you've been buying musical components your entire adult life. When, right. when do you think you left the range of lack of appreciation that Dennis is describing to the fact that if you're going to spend the money and get the quality that there's going to be some patience involved, where do you think you realized that? Was it early on? Did it take a while? I think it was probably early on because I mean, I was hot rotting my stuff like in high school, mm-hmm. you know, I was hot rotting my base with different pickups and things and realizing how much time that took. So to have somebody with the shipping time that said, you know, this will probably ship out in a week to two weeks because we are building it from the ground up, for me, wasn't that hard of a sell. I think it was only if it was one of those, it was like two weeks, and then it turned into three or four. And it's just, that's when you just send in a, a quick email, just see what's up. But at the same time, you know, um, especially for small builders, you know, that if that's not the day job at that point so i mean they're all doing it at night or on the weekends and so it's still a little extra time on that i think there's only one time one builder who actually is not building anymore um got on me or something and this is because his uh pedal that i ordered was three months past its due date Mm. which was already which was already a month that he said, you know, cause I'm, I do these in batches. I wait till I get about 12 and then I do it. I'm like, that sounds fair to me. Um, unless you're number 11 or unless you're number one waiting for right, 11 right. to come along. Right. And this was actually, it's, it was like right at his spot. Like I think he was on, uh, what is it? I love fuzz.com. Was it that one of those um, yeah. websites? Yeah. One of those forums like that, that he was like the, the flavor of the month at that point. So getting it wasn't that hard, but then he kind of snapped at me and said, Hey, I've got a life too. I'm like, look, then just refund then, me my money. Yeah. Maybe this life isn't for you. Yeah. Right. You even look at the timing, not necessarily. We're not too far removed from the, the infomercials that said still, you know, four to six weeks shipping and handling. Mm-hmm. Right. I still, yeah. I ordered something tonight. That'll be here Thursday. And that blows me away. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, you know, kids, anybody under the age of shit, 25 pretty much hasn't been purchasing, has, has never purchased anything on their own that didn't have a tomorrow option. Yeah. Right. So what you should do, Dennis, is somebody orders a pedal from you and what, what's an, what's an average turn t- turnaround time? Would you guess? Uh, about 10 business days. Okay. So you build your quality product and then order them a shitty one off of Amazon. Let them <laughs> catch your house on fire and appreciate the quality. Yes. Here you go. That, that'll work. I'm sure that's right. a business plan that works. I mean, I look at the yes. bases John has in his place and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is like six months of wait time for the most exquisite piece of art. And that's actually yeah. what, I'm, what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't understand any of the electronic components in a nope. single one of these pedals, but I'm looking at some of these going, I don't know what an essential dead horse overdrive is, but I kind of want one because it looks cool. They look cool. And, and right. that's, that's really, you know, and we, when we went kind of aggressive and weird like that, it, yeah. we did that specifically to avoid the tire kickers. You know, because we used to do in-person trade shows. And if you just have a generic looking product, then everybody wants to come and talk to you. And I, you know, as, as a, as a performer, I'm sure John probably has the same inkling. We, we, we have this urge to perform, but at the end of the day, we're really super introverted and we're really sensitive. So, you know, having to come and, and, and sell to people all day long, all day long, all day long. Well, how can I, how can I, 
I call it repulsion marketing. I'm trying to re just repulse the people that simply aren't going to be interested. And then the 10% that are left are really fucking interested. Right. And I can sell to them all day long. I don't have to worry about um, getting too much exposure. I can kind of keep the flow, keep the trickle coming in. Um, you know, there's always, there's always metal kids, but it really allowed me to really focus in. Um, but then it does kind of pigeonhole you. So. I, well, that, see, that's okay. So that's where I'm kind of having the juxtaposition of uh, a potentially introverted, brilliant musician who just wants to play their gig and be awesome and sound awesome and, and share their gift with people mm -hmm. yet they've got a board sitting in front of them. That's just got crazy bright color whacked out shit that they don't want to talk about. They just want to do their job. Mm -hmm. Yep. How many, I mean, John, you've played enough bands have been to enough shows. Dennis, you've probably forgotten more bands than we've all seen collectively. What's the, where's the balance? What, where do you think the trade-off is between someone who, has a kick-ass board, just played a killer show, or before the show, someone's talking to them and they want to talk about their gear versus someone who's like, listen, I just want to plug in, I want to blow your eardrums out, and I'm out. Um, for me, it may be different for John. He'll have a different perspective. But when it comes to buttons and knobs, we're all geeks. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are. Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter... I mean, literally, I've taken a box and, and just pulled a bunch of a box of pedals out and sat down and played with Slash. And everything just drops down. Lowest common denominator is buttons and knobs. So I think every guitarist wants to talk about it. We love talking tone. So if somebody there recognizes, hey, I know what that pedal is. How do you like it? or whatever, they're happy to talk about it because right. it's not personal, but it's how it's kind of personal. It's their fingerprint, but it's, it's impersonally personal. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, I mean, we, we all love just talking about buttons and knobs. Yeah. It's like, you know, how's that hammer working? Are you building the house or are you exactly. out on a murdering spree? <laughs> exactly. This exactly. concerns me because Lance does this on the side. He does a lot of set building and creation. Lance, you're not you're not playing on murdering anybody that you're that you'd be willing to talk about, are you? He does. Like, Thanks a lot, Jackass. I'll be at your place in about twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my my goal in life is to become a uh, Netflix documentary. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Lot of lot of crime ones lately. Holy God. yeah, they're kind of scraping the bottom though. Yeah. I saw one yeah. today. I saw a commercial for Losers or Losing or something. I saw that ad the other day too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. We're gonna. I mean, I, I get. It. There's a great psychology there to it because there's something that that the world. There's nothing like a solid ass kicking to mm. really change your worldview so I, i'm actually morbidly curious i had to scroll gotta, past it to get to my trailer park boys oh, yeah, okay. uh, nice nice i've got i've still got my uh my my uh, i think my 12 or 14 ounce hammer so i've had that you know since i was in, nice uh, you know, yeah don't don't dredge any ponds by lance's house you'll find anything oh man that's funny that was more concerning than I wanted it to be, but you know. <laughs> well, you asked. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
so Dennis, we we had a guest on the last episode. I don't know if you, do you, I don't know if you know each other or not. Uh, do you know Keith uh, from Tsunami Cables by any chance, or have you met him, or know of him? Or the- I, I, I've met him. Okay. Met him. We we had a, a, a brief relationship. Um, he he made some Facebook posts that I didn't agree with, and I had to sever ties. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, the reason the reason I kind of asked that question is. Um, we start talking about the identity of a company and mm-hmm. since, since you uh, started and are largely the core part of Proton, mm-hmm. what was, uh, when you started out, what was the kind of your goal of, of creating a company like that and has it, uh, has it morphed over time where you've kind of changed your positioning? I know you've mentioned that, you know, different musical genres have come and gone that you've enjoyed not enjoyed and whatnot um kind of like to hear the story about you know you started it for this reason and is it the same reason today or how has that changed Uh, i started it to supplement my income so that my wife didn't have to go back to work after having my youngest daughter cool who is now 17 and i'd love to strangle her every day of the week (laughs) (laughs) you you know the feeling i do uh yeah, so I, I we I started it just so that you know, just to make enough money to where okay, we can we can eke by without her having to go back to work, and all of the uh, costs that are inherent with that, you know, returning to work, and then um, at the time we were living in Dallas, so daycare and gas, and it was just a nightmare. Well, let's see what happens, you know, make a little thing and throw it out there, and it got people's attention, and it started doing well what's the goal now now it's it's shifted to things like you know making making payroll and and meeting the numbers and the goals that we want to hit and things like this it's kind of become a business <laughs> for lack of a better term i mean it's a real legitimate thing with it's all grown up now yeah it kind of is um you know and it's it, it's it does have, having been one of the early, early, early boutique pedal companies, we do have the luxury of being able to go on autopilot. Mm-hmm. You know, the last a couple of years, um, struggling with sobriety, the last six months, struggling with a neck injury. I haven't really been able to give it my full attention like I have in the past because I recognize when I do that, it's really unhealthy for me and the whole work-life balance. Um, but luckily, like I said, it, it, we've been around a while. We've got a name that's out there. Um, so I, it can go on autopilot. It's not like some of these guys that started up last week is Google handcrafted guitar pedals and you will get 72,000 companies. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's a little obscene now. It's a crowded market. It's a crowded market. Um, but again, like I said, we've, we've, we've been around so long. We can go on autopilot and well, this year we're just going to figure shit out or this month we're not going to do dick and just focus over here. And that's kind of um, just, just the sheer fact that we've been around for 15 years. This is our 15th year, um, maybe 16th. I'd have to, I'd have to ask. Uh, what Math, is it? it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, it, it started off to do one thing and then, man, yeah, it is crazy grown up and books and taxes and everything that goes with it. Um, yeah, 
it's kind of like kids. It started off as fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. yeah. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's, now what? College? Oh. oh, they keep getting more and more expensive. I don't understand. <laughs> yes. No, but, um, you know, it's it's been good. Uh, I don't know what's next, but we'll see. Yeah. So being boutique, uh, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that a lot of your business is one repeat business from artists and people that have experienced a pedal or two, and maybe they they uh, they want another sound or want another experience. But there's probably going to be a lot of word of mouth mm-hmm. marketing, right? A lot of people like you got to try this, or yeah, I met with Dennis; he's a great guy. Um, they don't then, say that. They don't. Say, <laughs> me, me, if the check's in the mail, they'll say. Going to put that out. They don't say right. The rent a friend hasn't come through yet. Actually, no. For a long time, Dennis had like the moniker of the guy telling, basically telling the the truth on endorsements and all that kind of thing for, and yeah. making a lot of the other companies mad because all the smoke and mirrors. Dennis was yeah. just like, "That's not how this works at all." Oh, yeah. so like he's like, "How do you make an eye roll sound on a podcast?" <laughs> yeah. God. No, it's, I, I did. I mean, I wouldn't say I had a, a bad reputation, but I just, I, I don't, I don't think that it serves anybody to, to blow smoke and all of that stuff. So uh, I cut to the chase on a lot of stuff. And like John said, yeah, I, I said a lot of controversial things regarding um, endorsement deals and things like this and um, just the music business in general. And uh, a lot of people just weren't ready to hear a lot of it. Because we were still trying to transition into this new Spotify world. Because John, John's been kind of connected to us since, even I want to say pre-Spotify, maybe. Yeah, it's right it's there. been a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the whole the landscape has changed yet again. You know, and so yeah, I pissed a lot of people off and, and telling them, you know, you're using Spotify wrong and you're using your endorsements wrong and no, you can't have an endorsement and those yeah. things. So yeah, good times. So when you're telling so I don't, I don't need to get into specifics, yeah, but if you're, if you're, uh, if you're doing it from an educational point mm-hmm. of view, right? Like you've like, listen, I'm not, this isn't my first rodeo. Uh, I've dealt with, some huge names in the music business that people who are not even casual fans will know the names of all the way down to bands who are, who are individuals who are trying to get there and they're, they're doing it the right way. And I'm not going to tell you little person anything different than I would tell super mega stars and who's having trouble with it. Is it, is it just other, other companies that would deal with this or is it well, artists themselves? Every, every single one of those three people. Really? Yeah. The companies, cause okay. So for me, I don't right now, musicians don't make any money. We all know this. The people that make money off the musicians back are the companies that they're working for. Um, so I started calling out the simple fact that, you know, um, musicians need to be compensated for some of like the demonstration videos and things like this that they do. So, um, you know, I went out there and publicly said this, you know, this is one of their only revenue streams. I'm going to pay the kids that do demos for me. So I did that for a while and pissed off a lot of people. Um, but primarily, so like, for example, some of the old school guys, if you listen to um, Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl had a rant 
that went viral a couple of years ago where he just says, oh, well, if you just play, play, play all the time, you're going to get famous. Not in the 21st century. It simply doesn't work that way anymore. Mm -hmm. So some of the old school guys that I work with still think that way. If you just play, someone's going to notice you and you're going to get famous. Nope. That's not how it works. And then they would get all crotchety at me because I'm telling them something that they didn't learn because they've come up in this era where that's how you got famous. Uh, and then the kids today, they think that they can rage against the machine and they can, they can fucking change the world with our music. And then I got to tell them, you know what, dudes, Tom Petty couldn't change the industry. Metallica couldn't change the industry. You too couldn't change the industry. All of these bands couldn't change the industry, no matter how hard they tried. Radiohead, all of these bands that have put out some kind of um, pay what you want, Nine Inch Nails, these are all household fucking names trying to change the way that the industry does business. They couldn't do it. And your little band with 72 likes on Facebook is not going to do it. So fall in line and just start doing the work. And there is, there is a talk show I listen to regularly where the host is, he's a metal guy, always has been, but he was saying that the only person right now that's making money is Taylor Swift because she plays the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she plays the I think well, I mean there's a there's a number John may know it. I want to say it's like 97, 98% of the music industry is paid for by the 2 or 3%. The two, top 2 or 3% pay for everything else. Wow. So your, your Taylor Swifts um I, I don't even know that, you know, somebody like a shit, I can't even think of uh, maybe like your Bruno Mars, your the the poppy that appeals the, to the pop huge sellers yeah. are paying yep. for everything else. Everything else loses money. Uh, it's slowly changing as people own the rights to their stuff and are doing sure. in their homes and things like this. It's slowly changing, but by and large, um, because the industry is such a slow turning boat. It's going to be that way for another 15 years. Sure. What would the, if you had the opportunity to make one, one change to the industry in, in your, <laughs> uh, what would that, what would that one change be? I would uh, have it go back to say 99 and get its finger on the pulse of what an MP3 is mm. and figure out how to start thinking about how do we sell these mp3s back in 98 99 when we were starting to share them i mean that was before napster napster was 2001 or so 2002 that was like the limewire bear share <laughs> every mm -hmm. yep yeah or my yeah. my mp3 player held 11 songs yeah. and, yeah. and died right. after right. one one trip to the gym yes. yeah yeah, and but how long did it take to download that one song? A couple right, days. <laughs> dial up. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. But that that would be the one thing is is to go back and figure out how to monetize that digital file, figure out what it's going to take instead of ignoring it and waiting for. They waited for Apple to solve that problem for them. Mm -hmm. After the 
fucking cat was way out of the bag genie's out of the bottle whatever you want to call it at that point we've been sharing for free for a good 15 years you right out i mean had they figured out a way to monetize that earlier um and they had bottomless pits of money they could have figured it out right and now a lot of them are broke were they just sh- uh, late to do it or slow to do it, or did they, they not didn't do watch? it at all? They completely ignored it and let Apple solve the problem when Apple invented the whole iTunes library. Mm-hmm. They just shit the bed. The best that they came up with was giving you digital versions on CDs. So, like, if you tried to put your CD player or your CD, I remember um, it was Fiona Apple's first CD. I love her. Uh, you put it in your your computer and it played some video, but there's all there's the entire album in digital format. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? But I still have to have the CD. It's just weird. Um, David Bowie tried to do it all online with Bowie Net. I don't know if any of you guys are were hip enough <laughs> then to know that. I didn't. I don't remember that uh, one. Yeah, yeah Google, I do not go together. <laughs> Google up Bowie Net, and it was it was an interesting experience. It was a whole online community um, that shared a lot of his music and stuff. Much like Prince tried to do it too. Prince took all of his music off of the stores, off the shelves. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can do it was via his website. Hmm. But the problem with that was uh, Prince believed that every sound his body made, he should record and sell. <laughs> so there was thousands of just tracks of shit that you had to sift through. Hmm. Literally hmm. tracks yeah, of sometimes. shit. <laughs> sometimes. Ooh, I just shout out this jam. It was weird. It does cry. That's the <laughs> most absurd <laughs> underground. Purple rain. It's an it's, underground album I don't want any part of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's that's what I would do is is help them or encourage them to figure it the fuck out because it's coming and you can't stop it. Oh man. Well, we're getting we're getting close to the wrap up point already, Dennis. But I do have a question because you kind of mentioned it before we we started recording, and, and sure. I'm curious for the reasoning because mm-hmm. it's kind of my dream sometimes to to do the separation that you seem to have from, from social media. And, oh yeah. And in a world where you have a boutique uh, mm-hmm. brand, mm-hmm. which seems to be in my mind, these smaller, it's not a startup, but a smaller idea of, mm-hmm. of sharing through your various social media outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say, how are you surviving in a world without doing that? Because quite <laughs> obviously, uh, I still do it. I still You're do doing it. stuff that works, right? Uh, why do, the aversion? Why, why the aversion? Yeah. Uh, so about uh, two years ago, and part of getting sober and refiguring out who the fuck I am, um, and and I'll share this because this is something that nobody talks about, but it's a real thing. Uh, I was diagnosed uh, narcissistic personality disorder. Mm, so in okay. going through. And that's it's really hard with our current president because the word narcissist is now just a punchline. So it's kind of, ugh, that's weird. But it, it makes your, your brain think differently and do things differently. Um, but in, in going through, you know, a lot of talk therapy and things like this, I recognized that 
social media and a lot of the public appearances that I used to do, a lot of the podcast interviews that I used to do, um, uh, you know, various festivals where I would get on stage and, and blow smoke and talk about stuff we've talked about here. It was just to kind of feed this void inside of me that drove this perpetual behavior. Um, and then as I started really getting some clarity and really dealing with that aspect of my life, I recognized that Facebook, the personal side of it was really just an extension of that. I don't have that hole in me that needs that constant look at me and look at me. And I'm not saying that that's how everybody uses it, but I recognized that was part of how I was using that. And I don't need that in my life. Uh, I still obviously have all my Facebook accounts because how else are you going to get coupon codes? Well, that's true. <laughs> you know, so it's not like I don't use Facebook at all. Uh, I just, I have no interest in, in sharing with, with people um, pictures of my kids and what I did. Sometimes I'll share, you know, like when we're on a vacation, but at the end of the day, I'm not looking for that um, was not looking for that validation, that external validation that I used to look for. And, and that's really what it comes down to. So these days, how do I run a business? Um, I have Instagram linked over to the Facebook page. So I just, 99% of what I do is on Instagram because it's so easy. It's so convenient. It's right there on my phone and it just feeds, it just hooks right into right into the Facebook feed. So done. Um, but yeah, that's really, that's really what it comes down to. It just, I recognized ah, I'm not doing this for the right reasons. I'm not doing this mm -hmm. uh, because I want to share my life because at the end of the day, I'm pretty much an introvert and I don't really care to share a lot of my life. Um, but there for a while, for all of my life prior to that, I, I needed that constant affirmation that Facebook gives you. I mean, you know, those thumbs are little dips, little drips of dopamine that my brain doesn't create anymore. <laughs> so fair yeah that's, totally that's fair. really how, that's really uh the, the that's how i live without facebook but i have it it's still out there you can find me i don't think i've posted anything in a couple of months but i but, you know i poke around and mm -hmm. you know my wife tags me on stuff people tag me i'll comment i'll give it a thumbs up um you know we just recently had a uh a music store owner here in Charleston, South Carolina, get caught uh, kid molesting, child molesting. Oh, great. Yeah, right. And somebody had posted, oh, yeah, well, I, I, I knew the guy. Kind of saw it coming. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to call it like I see it. Because everybody, oh, I never knew. I mean, yeah, you kind of did if you knew the guy. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm, I'm still there. I just, uh, I just don't share it. I just don't need that that uh that thing that it does mm -hmm. for me i'm sure for everybody else it's perfectly harmless um but it's just like it's just like an alcoholic and booze i, I, I can't drink because i know what it does you know I, I can't i can't shoot heroin anymore because i know what it's gonna do to me right. all these small things that we just can't do so i i don't do the facebook because uh, I know why I did it before. And I don't really want to visit that again. Um, it's kind of weird. Not no, really. No, sounds I like totally mature. get it. Yeah. yeah. I always thought of it as a time vampire and I stepped away from it for a long time 
And then the only reason I came back was to run a page for a side business. Mm -hmm. You can't have a business page or manage a business page without having a personal one. And and I started getting all whiny and bitchy about it. And Moody basically said, just don't interact with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Don't interact. But the thing is, you know, from a marketing perspective, it is what is. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. You have to use it. And, um, you know, there, I have, uh, I have a lot of very strong feelings on it and there are right ways and wrong ways. And I know that the last couple of years I'm using it all wrong and I simply don't care, um, because my bills are still being paid, but, uh, but it's just, um, you, you, as a business owner, somebody who wants to be in, but you have to suck it up and you got to be there. Just don't interact with it. Don't figure out what your personal boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Cool. I can run with that. My personal boundaries are, all right, we're going to shut off all the messaging. We're going to, okay, everything goes through Instagram and that's that. Fuck it. <laughs> and those are my personal boundaries. If you want to communicate with us, you go to the website. Right. Right. You found what works for you. So yeah, it, it, it it doesn't work very well for the general public because they're not used to that now, you know, 15, 10, 12 years of Facebook. They're used to Facebook. Social media, I believe has made Americans really fucking lazy. Oh yeah. Well, you, you'd like this Dennis, because like the past couple of months I've had to set some pretty hard, like hours Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on it. Cause like I will have artists, um, contacting me through Facebook messenger at like Mm -hmm. 6 PM on a Saturday. Hey, what's my price for this or this? Then get upset if I don't reply to him. And I'm like, I'm not at the office for one. So I don't even have that info in front of me. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Mm -hmm. it's like the only time I'll answer is like, I've had like a guitar tech get a hold of me because something broke right away. Yeah. And that sounds important, but yeah, by and large, that's going to wait till Monday. Maybe. (laughs) Right, you know? <laughs> uh, and and that's just going to be because I, I get it. We because so, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I'll fire off a, an email to whomever. I don't expect that immediate response because I'm almost fifty. You know what I mean? My life has evolved and revolved around not getting an immediate response. But anybody again under the age of twenty-five in their adult life has never dealt with anything other than an immediate response yeah and then it, it, it you know john dealing with artists they don't fucking care you know right. i mean because some companies depending upon the level will bend over backwards over sure. yeah tomorrow saturday sunday delivery they'll do that or or unbeknownst to them they have no fucking idea what time zone they're in <laughs> You know, if they're on the road, if they're in Europe, they don't know, you know, all they know is, oh crap, I need another box of strings. Right. I'll I'll email John. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's that. And it's that same thing. I'm just going to fire it off. I'll let him get it. But when they come back and they're cranky on Sunday afternoon, come on. Yeah. That's That's not cool at all. But I'm sure we've probably bored every single listener. But yeah, all seven of them. No, I. So, 
Uh, yeah. There's two. We know. Wow, you're, I was going to say you're being quite uh, polite. Seven. Pretty generous. Lance's mom. Each of you have at least one parent. My parents don't <laughs> listen. They're like, what a piece of garbage. I'm not listening to that. I'm like, well, well, you're, not, you're not wrong. You're Thanks, not wrong. <laughs> so. Well, guys, I got to tell you, I really appreciate everybody's time. So my thanks to John, my thanks to Lance, my thanks to Tucker. And of course, thanks to our guest, Dennis. Dennis, thanks for taking the time to be here. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, oh, man, it was my pleasure. And I'm sorry it was so nerdy. Oh, well, <laughs> no, super cool. All about it. And hey, if people are interested in Protone Pedals, what's the best way to, to find the company? Well, clearly not on Facebook. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. Not on Facebook. I didn't, Don't even I didn't try it. it it's there. So, it's actually just, you know, I mean, honestly, we keep it easy. It's any social media platform other than Twitter slash, uh, slash Proton Pedals, but ProtonPedals.com, obviously. ProtonPedals.com. It's the easiest way. There you go. There you go. Jason will post this on Facebook and then. <laughs> right. right. All, all the closet proton pedal uh, fans would be like, the hell? I don't understand. This is a thing. It's not a thing. Oh, oh man. Well, guys, if, if I don't talk to you before, I will catch you in the next one. Thanks, man. Thank you. See you guys.